0: Hello and welcome again to Ramones Mania, a podcast for Ramones fans, by a Ramones fan about the Ramones. My name is Didi Thorazine and this week on the show, oh my god, uh, this is a rewind which basically means that I did this interview a long time ago. This was done in 2017. For those who don't know, I've been podcasting since 2007. But in uh, 2019, last year, I decided to take 12 months off around about August. I just needed a break. After, you know, 12 years, I felt that I, yeah, I deserved a well, well-deserved well break. <laughs> so I had some time off and uh, I decided to get back into this once we had lockdown because, you know, I felt that a lot of these interviews were just sitting here on my computer and, and needed to be heard by the world because they're awesome. Anyway... This interview I'm bringing you today was, like I said, was done way back in 2017, and this guy is no stranger to any Ramones fan. I'm talking about none other than the man himself, Ed Stasium. Now, let me tell you, if you have not heard this interview before, like if you didn't listen to it on my previous podcast, then this one is going to blow your mind. It is filled with some of the best Ramones stories you'll ever hear and also talks about some of those myths that surround the band. Uh, Once we get to end of the century, oh my God, man, you're going to freak out. There are so many good stories in that. Ed is a total legend and he's done so many awesome things and so I was pretty damn stoked when he agreed to come on and speak to me about the Ramones. So, if you want to contact the show, uh, you can email me at RamonesManiapodcast at gmail.com. There is also an Instagram page, which is Ramones Mania Podcast. Uh, there is a web page, which is Ramonesmania And there's also a Facebook page, which is Ramones Mania Podcast. So you can find us all over the internet and uh, that way you can keep up to date with everything we're doing. Oh, and we're also now on iTunes. So if you want to subscribe on iTunes, it will download automatically to whatever your preferred podcast player is. So that's pretty cool. But like I always say, grab yourself a drink, kick back, and enjoy this awesome interview with the man himself, Ed Stasium, right here on Ramon's Mania. Say thank you so much for giving me the time to do this interview with uh,
1: with you today. I really, really appreciate it. It's always good to talk about my boys.
0: <laughs> well, there seems like there is a lot to talk about. I mean, uh, there's and there's a lot that's been unsaid or unwritten, I should say. And uh, hopefully, you'll be able to clear some of those uh, myths and uh, rumors up, uh, so to speak, um, as we go on through. You know, your eclectic career of producing one of the greatest bands of all time, which is obviously the Ramones. So um, what I want to do is uh, just wanted to get started as well, uh, just before we jump into the whole Ramones thing, is basically, Ed, uh, you've been doing producing and engineering and mixing and all that sort of stuff for a, such a long time now. Uh, like, yeah, I'm,
1: get, I'm getting old.
0: <laughs> what was it that actually... You know, brought you to wanting to uh, have that as your career choice?
1: I never made the choice. It found me. Right, right. You know, I was uh, intrigued by music at a young age, started playing piano. And then, uh, when, boy, then I got interested in tape recorders and guitars at a young age, about 10 years old or so. And then, in the, you know, started forming bands in my neighborhood and in school. And during my school years, I had many. Garage bands, and I was I was the fellow in the band who would pick what songs. We were cover bands. I was never I I don't, I don't claim to be a writer of any sort. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I help with things, but I'm not a writer. So I would uh, back in those days we did cover songs. It was a covers band, yeah. and uh, I was the the cat who would bring the record home, or you know, pick up the record and learn it, and then teach it to the rest of the people in the band. So I think it kind of started there. Right. Okay. With you know, you know telling people that, you know, well that's that's the right part, that's great and you know also going, "Hey, that really sucks, dude. You got to learn that part." <laughs> so, you know, a, I was doing that at like 14, 15 years old, and I didn't know that it was produ- producing or engineering. I didn't know anything about that stuff, you know. But yeah. We're talking we're talking about 1962, 63. 63 63 right pre just pre beatles wow yeah <laughs> yeah so that that's where that's where i got my start and i just uh, a series of circumstances led me into recording studios from being in bands i thought i was going to be a big rock star but I, <laughs> I, but I not i couldn't we couldn't have been because the band really sucked <laughs> so ne- ne- never really would have been a rock star
0: wow and like you know obviously back then like to be a recording engineer was that overwhelming at such a young age to walk into a studio and just be like holy shit like there's all this technology there's this equipment there I mean did you teach yourself or did you have somebody that was around saying no this is how we you know how we record albums and this is what you got to look for and listen for and things like that
1: the listen for was never taught to me it was always instinct instinctual oh, cool. um and also also you know I was the kid guy in the band with a tape recorder you know I and I had two tape recorders. I was doing. I was bouncing back and forth between, you know, I, I saw, I knew, I knew about Les Paul and his uh, methods of overdubbing. And then, believe it or not, I, I was watching a, a Walt Disney show, The Wonderful World of Disney or something. And I, um, I saw Doris Day singing a song, recording a song onto one tape recorder, doing a, a song from Lady and the Tramp, the We Are Siamese song.
2: We are Siamese, if you please. <laughs> uh,
1: and then uh, they gave her, they, they stayed on the microphone and they, they literally explained overdubbing on this Walt Disney show that she would sing along to the backing track and to her voice and she would do a harmony. And that always, I was always like, oh, fuck, that's cool. That's so cool. And I, I always started doing that very early on, you know, with my, not crazy early on, not when I was a little kid, but in my teens, uh, mid teens. Figuring out how to, you know, record on one track and then onto another track, back and forth, and then when I when I was uh, in cover bands that were actually playing, and we had some originals too, you know, we set up a little studio in uh, in our uh, rehearsal room, and I would record from tape recorder to tape recorder, and then uh, then I got a uh, like this Sony 630 deck, uh, which had sound on sound capabilities. It was still a stereo deck, but you could bounce back and forth and it had an echo button on it too it was really cool so you had some slap echo on it wow. um yeah so i had been i knew i knew the, the signal path and i had been into a, a couple studios with the bands back then there's a few studios in new york that i had been in as bands uh there's a, there's this demo place called dick charles or right? you know everybody went to dick charles to record their demos i remember going there and getting recording and seeing everything going on there and then we got signed, somehow got a like a demo deal with uh, the artist Richie Havens. Uh, he had a, a label on M- MGM distributed label called Stormy Forest. And we got signed to a demo deal. Nothing ever conspired out of it, but I got the experience. And we actually, the band actually went into Media Sound. This was in, uh, I don't the date, the date, the date. Probably 69, 1969. Wow. Yeah, when Media Sound first opened up, it was a Scully 12-track. I have some pictures of those dates. Pretty cool. And Bob Margoloff was the producer. He was a staff engineer. This is right before Bob started up on the Stevie Wonder stuff, just before Talking Book. As a matter of fact, that his he, he and Malcolm Cecil had a huge synthesizer set up in Studio A of Media Sound this time. It was called Tonto. They actually put out a record called Tonto's Expanding Headband, which Stevie Wonder heard and tracked down Bob, Bob Margoloff and ended up like at his house one morning somewhere. Oh, you wow. know, knock, knocking on Bob Margoloff's door saying, "Hey man, I want to work with you. Come on, let's go." And they went into Media Sound, the rest of his history. They uh, they had a team, they they went on a run with a Talking Book and Music of My Mind, I think. Talking Book and Inner Visions. And there might be one more. Um, but Bob Margoloff was the engineer, so that was in, a, you know, he was very good about Exp- you know, explain these things and I was watching him do stuff and then uh, again the same band in a little bit of a different form we got a deal with Brunswick Records through a, a, ma- a quote unquote manager of ours that's a whole other story but we, we had three days to record it so we went to Chicago to record at Brunswick Recording Studios which the famous fabulous engineer um, mentor of mine, Bruce Swedeen was the engineer on that record and as you probably know, you know, Bruce Wadeen went on to, uh, you know, record all the Michael Jackson stuff. It was Quincy's engineer for years. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, th- that was it. You know, I was I was hooked on the studio. I loved the studio. I wasn't so much. You know, it's kind of like the Beatles, man. You know, just like the Beatles, you know, Candlestick Park was their last gig. Well, you know, pretty much around that time, you know, I played my last gig and I just happened to run into a person, a friend of mine whose dad was friends with this guy, Tony Camello, who was building a studio in New Jersey. In um, some around Somerville, New Jersey, and I, I started hanging out there. So just kind of everything flowed into each other. Yes. So I kind of learned. I learned on my own, although I do have to tip my hat to a Tony bon Jovi, who also got me involved with the Ramones. He brought me into a, a couple sessions with him at Media Sound. Well, he was on staff at Media Sound uh, back then in the, I guess it was 1972. So there you go. That's that's my college right there. Wow. I've been learning, every- and I've been learning ever since. Never stop learning.
0: Yeah, that, that's that, especially with technology, obviously changing so much as well. I mean, you're always constant, constantly learning as well. So,
3: mm-hmm.
0: so the Tony was the one that, that introduced you to the Ramones. I mean, I, I, you know, when you watch documentaries and stuff like that, when people talk about the very first time they heard the Ramones, they're all just like, "What the hell is this?" You know, <laughs> like, yeah. Is that was that the same experience for you?
1: Yes, and my first experience with the Ramones. I think I read a little snip. I was living in Canada for a year. I went up to, I left at Tony Camello's place, went up to uh, 45 miles north of Montreal and worked at a studio on staff, a studio called the Studio Morin Heights. Uh, beautiful, lovely Trident consoles, Studer tape machines, beautiful outboard gear, beautiful setting in the Laurentian Mountains on a lake, a residential studio. I was up there for a year and um, I bumped into Tony Bon Jovi uh, again during that summer when I was in New York on a project. And, uh, he asked me to start up a studio with him, uh, which was to become power station. And, um, Tony br- sort of br- brought me into the fold. You know, he really, he really helped out and he brought me into Manhattan with him a couple of times. Uh, he was doing, I remember him doing a cool in the gang session that I went to and, uh, he actually left the session and, and left me there alone to finish the session. <laughs> yeah. For like three, it's like three hours. He said, I'm going to go get a sandwich. He was gone for, my, let's say, not say three, let's say two hours. He was gone hour and a half. <laughs> Okay, maybe an hour. He was gone for a long time, <laughs> but I did. You know, I, I was either it was either sink or swim. <laughs> and this was before Cool and the Gang really had any hits. There was still like a cult R and B band, and um, they it was like at Media Sound. You you know you cut at that time. You booked three hour sessions. They had morning sessions and afternoon sessions, evening sessions, and so they had like got the afternoon session. So we cut the track, and then we started to do vocals. And Tony says, "Eddie, you take over." So I took over. And, you know, figured out the patch bay because I kind of knew what everything was doing. So I just it was either sink or swim at that point. And I just I've been swimming ever since trading <laughs> water more likely, M- more like trekking water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, coming back and when I went up to the uh, studio, coming back to Tony, that's when I started my, the first gig that I had was the Ramones. Wow. And it, my my daughter had just been born prematurely and I couldn't make the first date of the tracking uh so bob clear mountain uh actually set up the band in a tiny studio called sun dragon a really minuscule tiny dead studio and they, they seem to be fine with it actually the guys after being their first album was done at the uh at Ra- at the radio city hall music studio yeah. and uh, and it was you know those are sort of large rooms and really kind of they have great microphones there and great console And this is a little tiny place with a Roger Mayer, you know, eighteen input console, but it, it all worked out, and they seem to be happy with it. But you know, the first time I actually heard them was uh, when I got in the morning after they had of their first day. I came in on the second day, and it had already already been tracked. And my first uh, experience with the room was hitting the play button and listening back to it and going, "What the fuck is this? Seriously?" <laughs> uh, but th- but then I, I got it. I got it right away. You know, I never saw. I didn't see them live at that point. No, I just gotten back from canada my girlfriend at the time you know was rushed into the hospital and my daughter was prematurely born and it was a crazy time so uh, and and mind you i had been up in canada listening to showm fm c-h-o-m and you know listening to like fleetwood mac and the eagles and peter frampton and pink floyd and you know nothing really had broken in, in the punk scene or new wave or any of that yet it was like you know yes it was all you know prog rock and soft rock and that's what I had been listening to, disco. Matter of fact, I was up in Canada. I was working on that Saturday Night Fever soundtrack with the Bee Gees. Oh wow! Yeah. Well, I didn't really work on it. I hung out and rolled joints with Barry Gibbs. <laughs> <laughs> I was officially deemed the joint roller, me and Barry. And we we talk about metaphysical books. Oh wow! Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah
0: record you did with the ramones was uh, was leave home and yes. uh like the, the one thing that really stands out about that record is that it seems like it changes like the, the the guitar tones and stuff change from song to from song to song it sounds like it's a couple of different sessions uh recorded at different times but all put together as one album like you you know you listen to like the uh, that like songs like Carbon are not glue. And um, then you listen to something like swallow my pride and it's just completely like, everything's just completely changed. Is that how it was done or was it all just done in like one shot?
1: No, we did it in one shot, you know, oh, wow. the, um, yeah, pretty much. Uh, it's, it's, it's all in the plane. It's all in the magic touch of the bo- of the brothers. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we came in, you know, like I said, Bobby set it up the first day Then I think we spent another two days recording the tracks. And then we, we, did a, a couple little guitar parts here and there, some percussion and uh, double the guitar track on one shot. We probably double them like in an hour. Oh, wow. Um, if I recall, Johnny, just sitting there, come on, let's do the next one. Come on, let's go. Hurry up. <laughs> Hurry up. I want to go home. I got to watch the Yankees. <laughs>
0: wow. That's yes. Yeah,
1: so, uh, that was, in the, and then we did the vocals and, you know, probably, probably, you know, maybe a week of recording <laughs> at the most. And it was all done in one session. Yeah, for sure.
0: That's incredible. Like, I mean, yeah. especially when you hear of some bands and they take like month, you know, a month or two months to record an album. Then you got those Well, yeah,
1: I just we just mentioned, you know, Fleetwood Mac. Uh, it was rumors and the, the Eagles. Have the Eagles done Hotel California? I don't think they did Hotel California. Maybe they did. When did Hotel California come out? But oh. those records took anyway. That's beside the point. But the fact <laughs> is that those guys spent years on those fucking records. Yeah, they were in the studio for literally years. Yeah, and uh, doing a lot of cocaine as well. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> a sign of the times. Like yeah, this. so you know, we do a record in a week or two, no problem. Yeah, um, you know, and it was minimal. There, you know, Joey did his vocal, double track vocal. I just recently uh, we're doing a box sets for all of the releases, and I'm working on. Uh, I just finished working on Leave Home. It's set for a summer release uh, oh, for the I'm box sorry. set. And uh, we we keep we've remastered the original we've remastered the original mixes, and I did 40th anniversary mixes to make it sound a little more raw and in your face. Cool as a, as opposed to the kind of hi-fi uh, luxurious stereo of the original mixes. Yeah, um, uh, you can actually hear the kick drum and bass uh, on on the new mixes. It's pretty raw, and uh, there are a lot of extra. Going to be a lot of extra tracks. I found uh, several of the songs have uh, DD vocals on them, which we're featuring DD on vocals. And there's, you know, some percussion, little, little guitar bits that we didn't use on the original. So there's also extra stuff and some instrumentals. And it's it's a lot of fun. it's going to be a lot of fun. Be- fans are going to dig it.
0: Oh, I'm looking forward to that for sure because the fortieth anniversary of the uh, debut album that uh, mono uh, mix is mm-hmm. it's so i mean that's the mix i listen to now because i think that yeah. just it has so much more life um not that the first one didn't because i mean you know the original mix is great too but just hearing this is just like it's a whole new thing and it's just like fucking hell i've never heard the song sound like this before
1: yeah we've uh, done the same thing with leave home awesome yeah. and of course we're keeping the, you know for uh all of the, the luddites out there we're keeping the original mixes as well
0: yeah that's that's unreal. I can't wait for that. Then I'm glad that they're doing it because I'm I'm sure there is so much unreleased Ramon stuff that we still haven't even heard yet. And I just look forward to hearing it all because you know it's my favorite band. Oof. So <laughs> super super. Then they did like you know you did two records in the one year. You did Leave Home and Rocket to Russia, which is pretty impressive. But you know especially because they were still you know they weren't they weren't huge by that time. They, they were on their way, but they still weren't massive. What was the the reason to just get back in there and do the album, do you know why they were asked to do another album so soon?
1: When have no idea. Yeah, it's, it's... I've always been out. When it comes to the aspect of running a record company or running the record business or being in the record business, Or I've, I've never been there. I've just been, a, you know, I'm a carpenter. That's what I am. You know, I'm am I'm a, a, in the workshop and I really don't pay attention to the inner workings and the philosophies of record executives. Yeah. So I really don't know. All I know that I, I got a call up from, you know, Tony Bon Jovi on these two records on with Leave Home, Leave Home and Rocket to Russia. Uh, you know, got a call from Tony said, "Okay, we're going with the Ramones," and then, you know, um, six months, seven months later, we're back in the studio again.
0: Yeah, it's and, it's pretty impressive as well. I mean, I guess they had so many songs. I mean, DDC they I had just... all
1: those. Yeah, they had all those songs. They had all the songs for Leave Home. When they wrote the first one as well, I believe. Oh wow! For, I think. I'm pretty sure of yeah. that. It's like Joey you know, they, and Dee. They were, just, Didi they, were po- they were prolific. They're just you know, which if you're an artist, that's who you are. You're prolific with songs. Just pour them out.
0: Yeah, and it seems like Dee Dee was just such a talent. You know, like what a songwriter he just would just churn them out. So uh, him and yes, Joey together, yeah, it was just it's what a great songwriting team. You know, so mm-hmm. so one of the things I did want to ask you about as well is that obviously. You know, from Road to Ruin, you became producer as well. That's when you started producing The Remains. Well, that's when you got the credit of it.
1: That's um, when I got the credit for it. I, in fact, you know, was doing the same exact thing that I did on Leave Home and Rocket to Russia when we got to uh, Road to Ruin.
0: Is there any um, reason why you weren't credited as producer on that? Was there like a politics thing that they just said, no, nah, you can't uh, give you that credit?
1: Well, when I first got, when I first was approached by Tony Bon Jovi, he did, in fact, ask me to be a co-producer. But you know what? At that time, I was a kid. I didn't know what co-producer even meant. I didn't know what producer meant. I didn't know that there were I didn't know there were royalties involved or contracts or in fact what a producer does. I just I've only been doing what I've always been doing and that was, you know, p- putting my two cents in. Yeah. You know, so, some guys don't like to do that like St- Steve Albini, who's a fantastic engineer and that's what he claims to be. He doesn't, you know, work with the band on, you know, arrangements or, you know, making sure everything is right. He just makes sure sure that it's recorded right. But I've always been the guy who's, you know, big mouth. I always want to put, you know, know know-it-all. I always put my two cents in about something. (laughs) So, you know, ever since I was a kid with the bands, as we referred to earlier, with, you know, teaching, you know, the guitar player and the drummer the the right parts. And it just, it was just, you know, I guess I was born to do this. Um, So uh, Tony did tell me that I was producing uh, Leave Home, but when I got the... The actual copy of the album, I was listed as the engineer and they spelled my name wrong. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) That's okay. I don't care. (laughs) But at that that time, it was a big deal to me. And, um, you know, I was naive. And I remember asking Tony, "Uh, I thought I was producing this with you. He says, Oh, no, no. Next time. Next time you'll produce. And of course, the next time came around and, you know, still was an engineer. And I still (laughs) gave a significant amount of input to the band and the work in the studio.
0: Uh, one thing I did, did have to ask, though, is there, was there anything that um, any moment or any particular part of a song that you may have suggested to the Ramones that they actually went, oh, we agree with that? Like a big thing, like, you know, whether you made, you come up with a harmony for a chorus or something like that or helped with a composition that really stands oh, yeah, out?
1: Oh, I, I I actually, I came up with all those harmonies on, you know, Leave Home, Rocket to Russia, Road to Ruin. Oh, wow. You know? It was. Uh, I, I played guitar on a lot of this stuff, yeah. A, as well as that's I, we Tommy did as well, but I, I, I played extensive guitar and occasional bass on, on Road to Ruin.
0: Yeah, that's that's yeah. one of the things that I wanted to ask you about. Actually, is because uh, I spoke to Marky e. Ramone about this um, in 2002. Because in Didi Ramone's book, uh, he says, and this is one of the probably the. the probably will be a big focal point of this interview is because the end of the century sessions, you're listed as a musical director. And mm-hmm. that album, uh, it seemed like it's am- it's amazing that it even got made uh, just from the stories that people have said, you know, like the being, right. being held at gunpoint and all this. And in Didi's book, he says he doesn't even know how the album ever got finished because Johnny apparently left only like two days into the recording or something because he hated Phil Spector or something. who couldn't get along with him. It
1: was more like a week. And then also, you know, he it was after the infamous rock and roll high school chord, which Johnny always uh, said took eight hours, but probably more like an hour. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I recall also in Didi's book, somebody mentioned to me that he said that he didn't play bass on that record, but he did. I was there the entire time. He did play bass on it. He played bass on that entire record. Wow. Yes, he just he just doesn't remember.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, he was going. He through. didn't remember.
1: I was there. Um, you know, I was brought out as musical director. You know, I had I had played Johnny is a specialist. He does what he does, and he does it. He's the best at what he does. Yeah. And um, I still speak of him in the present tense because I feel his presence. But when it came to doing other little parts, he didn't want to do it, and that's why uh, myself and Tommy started doing little guitar parts that we thought would be cool. I mean some of the some of the stuff might have been kind of shitty and over the top in the wrong direction for the band but the band wanted to try different things i i didn't go in there and say okay we have to do it this way guys it was the band it was johnny and the band wanting to be to have a little bit more of a commercial edge to them is you know johnny did was didn't want to be bothered with doing those little one note solos and noises and different styles of guitars on the record so i ended up doing all that
0: so with that um, saying, because uh, Marky said to me when I said to him, I asked him about to confirm, you know, the the what Dee Dee said in the book, and he said he goes, well, and I said, so if the album, if Johnny left, and you know they spent so long on on certain things, I said, who's playing guitar in the album, and he said, Ed Stasium did it, so <laughs> he must have been a fan of your guitar work because you did add all that extra stuff into it, and because you listen to things like Danny says, and you're like, yeah, there's no way that that's Johnny playing guitar. Like, it's mean,
1: both of us. We actually during those sessions for End of the Century, we rehearsed for about four. We re, we recorded. Uh, let me go back a little bit. Uh, Sire Records had a, a little studio, an eight-track studio in the basement of their building on Seventy-third Street, and uh, that I kind of helped put. It was in stages of being fixed up, but I I helped Seymour put it all together down there, and you know finished it up, got a lot of the equipment in, and started recording stuff down there for for him for projects. And the Ramones would do demos down there. So we did the demos for the Phil Spector record. I was called the Phil Spector record for end of the century in Sire's basement, probably about three weeks previous to going to L.A. Then we rehearsed for about three or four days there. And I started playing guitar with the band. They, they wanted me with them. I guess this was kind of an offshoot at that. At one time, I was asked to join the band oh, wow. after, Ro- after Road to Ruin. Uh, Danny and Linda, Linda Stein, the late Linda Stein and Danny Fields, uh, asked me to meet them at the Russian Tea Room. It was very flattering, and they asked me to join the band, which is which I declined. I didn't really want to. you know. I had a baby at home. I didn't want to go on the road. I don't think it would have worked. <laughs> I, don't even know, I, don't even band, I don't even know if the band ever knew about that meeting. I have <laughs> no idea. <laughs> well, they must have. You know? And Johnny trusted me, so I started playing with the band. And when we, when we went in to do the sessions, I actually tracked with the band. Oh, wow. On all the songs. I played my trusty Stratocaster through a Mike Matthews Freedom amp. And uh, Johnny played his marshals. We were all in the same room at Gold Star. Everybody's in the same room except with Joey. Joey was in an isolation room uh, to do the reference vocals. Yeah, but we we played together for all those tracks. Awesome. So that was that was fun. But yeah, I did play it. But Johnny did play it. The rest of the band played on it as well.
0: It seemed like it was a a pretty dysfunctional record to get done as well with Phil Spector's uh, attitudes, if we're to believe all the interviews and stuff that were said, because we, I mean, I wasn't there, but you were, um, did he, were you there when he held the band at gunpoint as has been, you know, said,
1: I never saw any guns,
0: right? Okay. So
1: there were no, there were never, there were never guns in the studio, no matter what anybody says, there were never guns in the studio. I never saw, I, he might've had a gun on him. I might've, I think he had an ankle. I, I saw, Okay. I saw a gun strapped to his ankle once, but I never—it never came out. Right. I, I was there more than anybody. I was there for the whole thing. I was there for all the tracking. I was there for all the overdubs. I was there for, and you know, then John, then the rest of the band split. and I was there with Joey for like you know a week or so doing vocals with Joey, you know. And I did an engineer. I just hung out, and uh, there was never a gun pulled. Uh, I went up to Phil Spector's house with the, with the guys. I mean, he kept his prisoner up at the house, but. He never pulled a gun. Uh, the story, I guess. Monty, did, what did Monty have to say about the pulling of the gun? I think he was at that incident. Uh,
0: he didn't. He didn't really touch on that. He just said it was. Uh, it's. It was a bit. You know. Uh, it was. A, it was a crazy session. He just said it was like because uh, Johnny and Phil didn't get along. Apparently, like I'm not sure if that. But, but uh, Marky and Phil did because they were both really big drinkers. But, yeah, they're uh,
1: drinking buddies, and I got along with Phil. I went out to dinner with Phil every night. We met at Hamburger Hamlet. when We used to be up on off the of Sunset Boulevard, and where, where Beverly Hills meets Hollywood. Okay,
0: yeah. and so, <laughs> was he as over the top as uh, you know the pictures paint him to be, like Phil Spector?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, maybe if you saw the movie End of the Century, yeah, you saw my you saw my Phil Spector impression, and that <laughs> happened every that happened every day. <laughs> it, it happened every day. Yep.
0: Wow. So, and so you basically, um, that album, you know, and all the, the stories that go with it, you mentioned him keeping the band prisoner at the house. Um, were you, uh, were you there at the time as well?
1: Yes. I, w- I went up with them. This is, uh, probably during the first couple of days of recording. And he said, come on up the house. And we didn't do, we we're all hungry. There was no food. He didn't feed us. He just like would want to play pool. <laughs> we were playing, I remember him playing pool and-, and him playing baby. I love you over and over and over again. <laughs> on the uh, on his jukebox. Oh my god! Oh yeah, man. and we were there for a considerable amount of time, and I remember Monty going, "We got to get out of here. We got to get out of here." And the door was locked. We couldn't get out. The door was locked. He had the key. Pretty wacky.
0: Wow. And was his uh, was Phil Spector's house like you would have imagined it to be, like just full of like weird and strange things, and just gold records everywhere, or something?
1: No, it was just it was a cool Hollywood house up in the Hollywood Hills. Oh, okay. It was. Uh, it wasn't quite unusual. It, I, I remember it being kind of gothic and baroque. Yeah, um, and you
0: know, it sounds like it would have been a bizarre uh, experience, though, for everyone involved. I mean, the guy was such a legend, like you know, when it came to music, like he just seemed to have a good ear for sounds. I mean, I love "End of the Century." I think "End of the Century" is hugely underrated as a Ramones record, and you know, a lot of people, you know, just think, nah, it's not, you know, it's not punk enough or whatever. But to me, it's just, I don't know, I just love it. I think the sound is great. Like, they actually, the production of it and the sound is just something unique for the Ramones.
1: It sure is. It sure is. You know, Bill reached for it and he got it. You know, there, there are mixed reactions to uh, the sound of the record. Just before Johnny passed away, we were discussing, we were in lengthy discussions actually about doing a unspectorized, despectorized version of End of the Century. Unfortunately, at that time, uh, before we could get it into motion, he passed away. He just, you know, it went, it went, it went bad for Johnny. Rest his soul. Yeah. And uh, but there is a possibility in the future with these box sets that we're going to have. You know, we're keeping the original mixes, of course, but uh, there is a possibility on the horizon of doing a uh, uh, 40th anniversary mix of End of the Century as well.
0: That would be pretty impressive to hear. I'd love to hear a different version. Even though, I mean, you know, it's. I find that record is. It's definitely speaks for. I guess for a change in the Ramones as well, because you can see that Joey. I mean, Joey was always a great singer, um, and he used to always do you know amazing things with his voice. But on that record, it seemed like he just he, he just elevated himself. He he really sang, and he had such a good voice. Like oh yeah, especially in that ballad. I mean, you know, his, his version of Baby, uh, Baby, I Love You is just it's. You know, it's it's great. It's a tearjerker for sure. It sounds like it should have been, uh, you know, a, a fucking fifties a hit. So, mm-hmm. and yeah, Phil Spector definitely had that had an ear for that. So, uh, I guess he knew what he was doing when it came to uh, to the, to those sorts of sounds, and you couldn't really argue with him.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, it was it was Phil's record, that's for sure. <laughs> it's a Phil Spector production. Um, I'm glad I was there. It was a great experience. Interesting to say the least. Uh, Johnny was Johnny. Johnny was going to quit after uh, the rock and roll high school incident, first court incident. Wow! But um, I, I called Seymour and told Seymour Johnny's quitting, and he says I have to fix it. So I, I fixed it. You know, I had a I was the Henry Kissinger of rock and roll there for a minute, and uh, we had a summit meeting at Joe in Joey's room at the the infamous Tropicana, May it rest in peace hotel. At La Brea and uh, Santa Monica Boulevard, um, we had a afternoon meeting. It was all dark. I remember freezing in the room, hot outside. And uh, Phil came in with his bodyguard, and it started off with uh, Johnny telling me, "Ed, tell Phil I don't want to. Can't work like this anymore." And then I would say to Phil, "Phil, Johnny can't work like that anymore." <laughs> <laughs> and it went back and forth like that for a few few minutes, and then uh, everybody kissed and made up and. And Phil promised not to torture Johnny anymore, and everything was good. Although um, I'm sure the rift between Johnny and Phil, uh, in Johnny's eyes especially, was never resolved. He just they just didn't get along. The chemistry wasn't there.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's how they say. And then you know, he took off anyway. He just couldn't handle it anymore, or something like that. But well, his,
1: Johnny's dad passed away.
0: Oh, okay.
1: So, and on top of every, on top of being tortured by Phil, uh, Johnny's uh, dad passed away he did end up leaving and then he came back and we finished everything up oh okay
0: so he did come back okay yeah yeah, yeah. He came back. it's good to hear that because uh, it's good you know to get these stories because you know sorry, we just read in books or magazines or whatever it uh-huh. is, and it's just always secondhand information but it's good to actually get it from somebody who was actually there so you know yeah i'm the
1: only guy i'm the only guy left that was there <laughs>
0: With, uh, I, I did want to ask this as well, is that, you know, with It's Alive that came out in 1979. Uh, it, you're, you're listed as, you know, producer, engineer, and uh, I believe mixer, is it, or uh, on the mastering or something like that for that record. And I got told, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I got told that the only real thing that's live in that recording is Tommy's drums, and that they had to do a lot of overdubs back in the studio because of... Uh, Didi was tr- having trouble singing and playing at the same time or something like that. That's oh, yeah. Surreal, yeah, yeah I we, we, we,
1: we did redo some things.
0: Ah, okay. Not I,
1: every not, not everything. Because,
0: I mean, i got to tell you now that that's possibly, along with Kick Out The Jams by the MC5 and No Sleep To Hammersmith by Motorhead, they are the three greatest live records ever put out by any band ever, I feel, in my opinion. Because they feel like when you listen to those records, it feels like you're actually there. And Nice. And that's one of the best feelings I get. I mean, I, I love, you know, I love, I love the Ramones so much, but when I heard Loco live and, uh, um, you know, I just thought like, oh, this is just something, this doesn't feel like a Ramones live record, like It's Alive does. And Mark- No, you
1: know, that, that period, you know, right between, you know, we, it was right after we recorded Rocket to Russia. It was the Rocket to Russia tour. Um, and they were, they were a well-oiled machine. Yeah. They- they were putting out. They were, it, was, it was not. It was near perfect. That all the songs were there. All the great songs. You know, um, not to diss my brothers, but you know, after Road to Ruin, with the exception of a couple songs, and I have to say that you know, Too Tough to Die is a pretty good record. I
0: love but, that record. <laughs> yeah,
1: thank, thank you. The greatest songs were their early songs. That's for sure.
0: A lot of people do say that those first four records are like the classic era of the Ramones, <laughs> mm, and uh, yes. whether that's you know some people even say it's because of tommy's drumming was so Uh, uh like he was the like the reason why it's alive sounds so good is tommy's drumming and you know i i listened to that and like even though i think Marky's a great drummer loco live just i don't know it just doesn't have the same feel as it's alive does i don't know whether it's just because that by that point that far into the band's career it just seemed like that's what they were doing and it was the you know what was expected of them, but it's alive. You can still see it's fresh. It's exciting, and you can just see that the band just really were just up there just to fucking kick out the jams and just rock, you know, mm-hmm. it, because they were hungry for it, I guess. So just you know, it was it was before they were making lots of lots of money. You know what I mean? It was like they were
1: just yeah. yeah. So yeah, you know, they were. There was a top, they were in top shape, they were in top form, and all the songs were there. Yeah.
2: Stay tuned for more rock and
0: roll. Well, after End of the Century, you had a couple of years off from the band, well, a few, and then uh, you came back for Too Tough to Die. Uh, right. Was, what was the, uh, the the reason that they, they, they brought you back to the, to the Ramones fold?
1: Um, I, I suppose it was because they liked the records that Tommy and I did better than the ones that they were doing with uh, the other people.
0: And it also seems like Too Tough to Die was the album that brought them back to the real fast punk stuff you know like mm-hmm. and that i'm guessing that may have been richie's influence as well because he was so high energy as a drummer i mean that guy's uh-huh he, yeah he, we
1: had those this, almost the hardcore songs on there like warthog and endless vacation yeah um yeah and you know there, there's there's some good stuff on there. mama's boys a great song yep yeah
0: i love that record daytime dilemma is a great pop song you know it's such a fucking good song
1: <laughs> right right
0: and then you've got mm-hmm. uh howling at the moon which uh, obviously was produced by uh uh, the guy from Eurythmics, which I thought was... right,
1: Dave. Dave yeah. came in and worked. He worked on that with us. we were all we were all uh, we all combined on that one.
0: What was uh, that he brought to the table with that? Like, did he come up with ideas for the actual song itself, or was it just the <coughs> sound that he was that he was working on there? He
1: I th- he overdubbed. He had a lot of ideas. That was the first time we worked with a click track. I had never worked with a click track on the Ramones before. But Dave worked, wanted to work with a click, and we had Ben Montenge come in and do some keyboards. We have uh, some interesting, he, Dave played a little guitar on it, did these little strummy, it was like a tenor guitar, I remember. It was a very high, it was like an octave up. It wasn't a, It wasn't a Nashville tuning a high strung, it was a little like miniature guitar, it was really cool. And he played uh, a rhythm himself on there. And what else was there? There were some tubular bells on there that Dave wanted to put on. Some Of course, some synthesizer stuff that, you know, he did. I don't think he had anything really to do with the arrangement. He was he was around for the whole recording of it though. You know, oh, yeah. he Yeah. He was he was around the whole time. He was well involved with the production of that. Yeah, that's for sure.
0: It's definitely a catchy tune, Howling at the Moon. It's uh and I'm surprised it wasn't all over the radio. It sounded like it should have been all over the radio. But Yeah, who
1: who knows? Yeah. Just, you never know.
0: I know. They fucking they didn't know what the radios didn't know what they had. <laughs> now it's too right, late. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Yeah,
0: yeah. After uh, Too Tough to Die, you had another, you know, almost ten years where you weren't involved with the band that I know of. Uh, but you did come back for what I think was one of the greatest Ramones records. I love Mondo Bizarro. I think Mondo Bizarro is a fantastic record. I love the guitar. I like
1: it as well. I like it as well. Uh, I think it's a great record. Yeah, really it's,
0: like the guitar work. I mean, the guitar tone on it, like the the actual tones that are used for the guitars. Um, I'm. It's rumored that Daniel Ray played a lot on this record as
1: well. uh, um daniel only played a couple little things on there oh really Um, yeah yeah i think he not much at all actually oh Um, okay trying to remember uh no played a couple songs played like a little solo stuff i don't remember even remember which songs they were oh wow i I haven't listened you know in a while
0: you obviously produced engineered uh that record and did you play any guitar work on it because i listen to poison heart and like i again i don't think that that's that's all, Johnny, because he was. Oh no, impre- that's
1: that's 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 me playing. I'm playing on that.
0: Ah, because all the melodic stuff. I was listening, going, yeah, yeah. I think Poison Heart is possibly Dee Dee's finest writing moment. Like it's just that song is just flawless.
1: Did you ever hear of Steve Bader's <laughs> version? It's really good.
0: I did. I did. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> interesting to hear that version before you got to it. I mean, had you produced the song with the Steve Bader's version, or was that just a demo you heard that Diddy brought and said, "This is what I did in Europe or wherever it was he recorded it"? You know. Yeah, he he, at- we,
1: he, we just we had the uh, recording of a Steve's version. Was it with Lords of the New Church, or was it just a Steve Bader's solo thing? I think it was it just recall.
0: a Steve Bader's solo thing that he that okay. they were doing. Yeah. yeah.
1: No, we, we had a cassette of it, and you know, I, I actually I think I copped some licks from that. Somewhere, I remember copying a few lyrics from it. I'd, I'll have to, I'd have to pull it up to listen to the original. Yeah, Stiv.
0: And Joey's phrasing, the way he phrases the words, is a little bit different as well. It's obviously Steve's because they're two different vocalists. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, that's all. That's all. Joey. Joey had his thing. You know, I, I never had to give. I never give Joey. I, I rarely give advice to singers. I just let them sing. You know, I'm not gonna, you know, let them do their thing. Yeah. You know. Yeah.
0: And with um uh like mono bizarro i mean you know did you have much to do with the the composition of the the songs or is that again
3: like the no i the i synth? stay
1: out of the comp. i stay out of- I'll, I'll write a bridge i think the only thing that i wrote for ramones was on the uh, end of the century record the, i wrote the bridge on the uh, return of jackie and judy oh cool awesome yeah <laughs> Un- uncredited uh, uncredited of course yeah, I did come up. I did come up with a bridge for
0: that. Uh, what a shame! But still, you know that it was like you, you were uncredited for that. It's a bit of a shame, but oh well. You know, you know it's there. <laughs> yeah,
1: I don't
0: care. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. Mono Bizarre, um was uh, the last thing, you know, album that you actually properly recorded with them. Uh, yeah,
1: I but, think I recorded another live record after that.
0: Yeah, Greatest Hits Live. Yeah, was that? Was I, I one. didn't.
1: I didn't mix it. As a matter of fact, I probably I've never even heard it. You know, I did record it. I actually recorded it. Oh, okay. And
0: was that was it recorded live? Yes. <laughs> well, the, the,
1: the part the part I did was. <laughs> um, I don't I don't know what they did if they did anything to it uh, afterwards. I yeah. have no idea.
0: Yeah, it's got the. It's also got a couple of studio cuts on the end. It's got uh, their version of Spider Man and uh, uh-huh. any way you want it. They do Dave uh, cool, uh, They cool. park cool. five. Yeah, that's on the end as well. So.
1: Oh, I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, that was just the two. Uh, or was it? R-A-M-O-N-E-S that they put on the end of that, maybe. It was uh, them doing Covering Motorheads song. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, the R-A-M-O-N-E-S. But it was, um I think that, you know, for you to, for, as a studio album, to finish on Mondo Bizarro was, you know, I mean, it was a, a good swan song for you because that, that album, it, it just, it's such a stand-up record. I mean, I like it more than Adios Amigos, even though I love them all. But it's just, Mondo Bizarro, I just think it's a songwriting on Mondo Bizarro that was just... You know they were at. It was like wow. Like you know songs like "Strength to Endure." Like you know CJ was such a good vocalist.
1: <laughs> yeah, he was. He did a great job. Yeah, and you yeah, know, I'll be seeing CJ. We're doing. A, I'm I'm playing at the Joey Ramone birthday bash coming up in uh, in May, and we're going to do "Leave Home" and "Rocket to Russia." Oh wow! So that's what we're going to do. That um, and um, for "Rocket to Russia," Richie and CJ are going to be playing. That's awesome. Yeah, on uh, "Leave Home." Clem Burke's going to play, and Andy Chernoff's going to play bass.
0: Oh, that'll be unreal. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> so it'll, it'll be fun. I'm, uh, I'm
1: practicing. I'm practicing my downstrokes.
0: <laughs> I heard the um, there's this funny story that I got told once. It was that uh, George, when they were auditioning for bass players, uh, George Tab, who was in a, a band called Furious George, uh, he used to write for Maximum Rock and Roll and stuff. His favorite band is the Ramones, and so he wanted to try out to be the new D.D. Ramone type, you know. So uh-huh, he, uh-huh. he went to the rehearsals and uh, he was playing and he accidentally did one upstroke and they stopped playing and they said, get out, we don't cheat in this band. I
1: never heard that. Was funny. <laughs> I'll have to ask him about it. I uh, I know George. I see him. He's uh, He comes to the birthday batch and does a song or two. Oh, ah, okay. Year. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if
0: it's true. I think it's, it was, he wrote about it in Max and Rock and Roll, one of his columns, I think, uh-huh. is where, is where uh-huh. it came from. And he was just like, shit. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then when I spoke to CJ about um, how he became into the uh, a member of the Ramones, he just said that um, he just wanted to go and just self- break to his friends that he got to jam with the Ramones. He had no, he didn't think he was ever going to be asked to be in the band because he, you know, he just, wow. uh, I went there. He goes, uh, he goes, I just fucking played <laughs> just so oh like tell my friends that I jammed with the Ramones and they bring me back and they said, hey, you've got the job.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's hilarious. It is. It is. It's. It's awesome. Now I do understand that uh, one of the um, since you know you the albums have been finished, uh, you know you hadn't you finished recording with the Ramones. You did do the um, you did produce the you started producing the expanded editions. Is that right? You did some of the work on some on putting some of those together.
1: I believe they used some of my. I didn't have anything to do with the uh, the audio at all. Yeah. I, I I contributed some uh, extra material.
0: Oh, okay. Cool.
1: See, so, yeah. and you must from from my archives, archi- archival stuff. So, you,
0: how much unreleased, remote stuff do you even have in your possession? Like, I mean, there,
1: there's there's nothing. There really isn't anything at this point.
0: Um, right. Okay. Yeah. You know,
1: every, everything's been out there in one form or another, except for my rough mixes. I have uh, rough mixes for they're going to be included on Leave Home box set. Yeah. So that'll that's fun to have. They're uh, it's really cool. And, uh, there's rough mixes for rocket to Russia. And I have tracking mixes for road to ruin. So oh, okay, that's, cool. that, 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 that stuff's never been released. Every, everything else pretty much is, you know, creeped out there in one way or another.
0: Yeah. Cause it's amazing when I listen to like, were you the guy that, I mean, slug never got a, a proper release, so to speak, an official release, but I mean, it ended up on that, uh, all the stuff and more compilation. But... Right.
1: I, I, I think I worked on that. That is a I fucking
0: don't... fantastic song.
1: Like it really yeah. is, yeah. I, we recorded that for uh, Road to Ruin, I believe, didn't we? I don't know.
0: I, I don't know, but it, it's it's such a good song. And I was listening to it, going, "Why isn't? Why didn't this end up on an album? Like, <laughs> it just sounds like a. It, it sounds kind of Phil Spector even before they use Phil Spector. Like, right? You know, that chorus is very uh, is very fifties inspired. You can tell. And I don't know who wrote the song, but whoever, whichever, I think, I I think it's a Joey it. song. It sounds like a Joey song. It definitely yeah. does sound like a Jason because you get I think his uh songwriting always had that 50s girl group Yeah, definitely always in a
1: pop 50s thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: just want to say thank you for recording a 1916 by motorhead that's my favorite motorhead record
1: i only did three songs on there oh I'd really like, i'd like to clarify something there's a lot of talk out there about lemmy firing me but i quit that project
0: oh really um, so,
1: yeah so get get that out there yeah okay um <laughs> he had some kind of he had some kind of story about he you know he was all they fired me because i put a tambourine on there You know, I put a tambourine on there, but there was an incident that happened where he actually knocked me on the floor and I walked out of the studio. Oh, wow. He didn't he didn't do it on purpose, but he leaned on my chair and he was a little tipsy. And, you know, the chair went back and I slammed my head on the ground and I picked up my bags and I left. I said, bye bye. I'm out of here. Thank you. So I never finished it. I had finished recording everything, but uh, somebody else came in and finished the record. So I did three songs on there. Going to Brazil was one of them. I don't re- recall the um, other names of the other songs.
0: Wow, because that's so, the one that's got the Ramon song on it as well. That that album. Yeah, I did. I
1: did. I did not do uh, the Ramon song. Oh wow! I can probably look at it. Let me see. Let's see what I did here. No voices in the sky. I did. Ah, oh, great song. Great song. Yeah, going to going to Brazil and love me forever. Those are the three that I did.
0: Um, so that was just one that because you're listed as a
1: producer
0: on the record. Um, yeah. So, did you play on it or do any of that sort of contribution? Or was it no, just no. Situation? Well, I,
1: I played. I played the uh, tambourine and clave that Lemmy says he fired me for. <laughs> 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 yeah, that, that boy Ed Stasian plays <laughs> and plays a, I, a, a I mean to, tambourine. You know, I, I've done that with bands forever. I put percussion on. So, you know, with Motorhead, it was like, well, I don't know, but for the fact that he continually said until the day he died that I uh, he fired me is. False, because
0: i walked out well the last ramones related record that i know you worked on was the joey ramone album of 2012 that you know record which seemed yes. to have been a really interesting project to be a part of because there were demo there were unfinished demos and then other people came in and and finished them mm-hmm. did you how was your feelings as doing that i mean you know because some people have mixed feelings to that record, like it shouldn't have come out because they they're under for a the, reason.
1: You no, know, it was it was the uh, I think it's cool that it came out. I I wish it had uh, Daniel Ray did some uh, had there were there were original like you know crappy little mixes with like drum machine etc on it, mm-hmm. and I wish they had included that, but they did not. But I thought it was a, a good tribute to Joey to show his capabilities and how far he had come with his writing and his you know these were mind you these were demos you know we kept all the vocals that were on there that was the only thing we kept and i, I must say that you know i did some editing did some fancy editing and made some songs out of scraps which was which was cool and you know all his friends got to trip got to do a little tribute on it you know everybody that played on there was a friend of joey's was a pal of joey's that was you know close to him so yeah. uh, um I, I never had a problem with doing that. I, I thought it was it was a real challenge to do, but it, it worked out. I thought it worked out great. I really liked being involved with that record.
0: It a long process to do, you know, because it seemed like it would. Yeah, been. we
1: took we took a long, long time, especially with doing a transfer. It was originally done on like a Fostex four-track deck, a, a few of the things. So, you know, there was movement with the tape, and you know, I basically had to uh, come up with you know a, a click track so the drummers could play along to it. So I had to tediously make a, a grid out of uh, a manual make manually make a grid in the uh, Pro Tools format and. Then make up click tracks, and then so you know, drummers could play along because there's literally nothing there. You know, there was just like you know, guitar, bass, guitar, and bass on one track, a couple vocals, and a drum machine. So it was a, it was a real labor of love. It was great.
0: Was that, um, stuff that he'd like had written? Like, was that those tapes were they culled from his whole? career of just him sitting in his room or was it actual stuff that he after the Ramones had finished he was like and after he did that you know don't worry about me album he started working on this record
1: yes that is yeah. true these were going to be on his next release
0: oh wow okay cool
1: mm-hmm. which did happen
0: yeah and whose idea was it do you remember whose idea was it, it said look I really want you to do this you know we got to get this done because it wasn't done like was it his brother that approached you to do that
1: it was Mickey and Dave Fry who manages the estate oh, okay Mm-hmm. Well, I'm they glad that it.
0: Me. I'm glad that it came out because just because I, you know, being a Ramones completist, you know, I want every single thing that the band ever did. You know, I mean, I love that band mm-hmm. so much. So mm-hmm. it was good to hear uh that you know he he sounded healthy on the on the recording as well, like in the on the songs. Like, oh yeah, which is uh I found surprising because you know, like we know how frail he got towards the end there and stuff. But it seemed yes. like he was like a like he was wor- he was
1: working right until the end. And, you know, he's working with Daniel, or Daniel Ray. He, yeah, Daniel Ray originally did all the demos.
0: A lot of people say this as well, and a lot of people have spoken to me about this, and they've always said they would love Daniel Ray to do a tell-all book about working with the Ramones and stuff, but Daniel's actually said, no, I will never do that. Um, mm. is there, is, have you ever thought of maybe doing a book about, you know, your life in rock and roll and the things, the stories and that that you have? Because it seems like you've done so
1: much, man. Like, it's... It's it was- been suggested from lots of people, dozens probably. But... Uh, I'm not. I'm um, you know. The extent of my writing will be in the lighter notes for these box sets coming up.
0: Right. Okay. I, yeah.
1: I don't think uh, honestly, I, I don't think I'm worthy of a book. Nah. I don't know, man. You've done some pretty know. good shit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, like, if you you have been a part of like a lot of different styles of music too, which I like. It seems like you didn't just limit yourself to just punk music or whatever. I mean, you've done so many different things. Um, but was was punk music something that you? Uh, that you preferred or was it you just liked challenges and you so you'd take on different different styles?
1: Well I never realized I liked punk until you know the second day of recording Leave Home. <laughs> <laughs> but when, when I finally realized how cool it was and how funny their lyrics were, how smart they were, it brought me back like, you know, to when I was a kid playing along with three chord records. Yeah. Four chords. And it was there was a spirit to it. That immediately was seen. You know, after the initial shock, <laughs> the, the the simplicity and the beauty of it was heartwarming. It was great. It was a revelation. Yeah, it revolutionized it revolutionized rock, it revolutionized rock and roll again.
0: Oh, absolutely! And it gave like, it a
1: real kick in the ass.
0: And what came out of like you know punk rock? Pretty much everything since. You know, like it's yeah. Like, the guitar tones we hear on records now—that's Johnny's. Oh, guitar the, the tone. guitar
1: tones you hear on commercials on television. It's yeah. all about Johnny. Yeah, it's all about Johnny Ramone. You know. Yeah, it really is. You've
0: had an impressive uh, career. I mean, you've worked with some of my, a lot of my favorite bands. Like you know, like I said, you, you know, you worked with Motorhead, and you've uh, you worked with you mixed a Seven Seconds record, which I mean, I love Seven Seconds. I have a Seven Seconds tattoo because I fucking love that band. You, know? <laughs> uh, you, you did. Um, you did one of my favorite solo sauna records, Hang Time. Which, uh, oh, thanks! I love that record because I think "Cartoon" and "Sometime to Return" are possibly two of the greatest songs ever written. Like "Sometimes
1: to Return" is just a fucking great song. It, really it is. is, yeah.
0: It's totally perfect. Like that's that is perfect songwriting right there. Like the way it's structured and just everything about it, the harmonies and all of that. Like that's just wow. Like, that was from what 1988, and to think, that, and again, that song should have been bigger than it was, but it was not. Unfortunately, here in Australia, anyway. So.
1: Well, when did, when did I do that? I think I did that in 87 or 88.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. 87, 88, yeah. Yeah,
1: somewhere around there. So, Oh, it's a long time ago. It so, is. You know, it seems like yesterday.
0: <laughs> yeah, it would have been It would have been great because, I mean, you know, it wasn't long before they ended up breaking big as well. Like, you know, it's uh, another band that just, you know, they took off for a while there and they had a, had a pretty good run. Yeah.
1: Yeah, they had a huge hit with that runaway train. <laughs>
0: Also worked with the great Joe Strummer, I believe you did, a, a mixed and mixed an album. I did of his.
1: one. I mixed one song. Oh, I one song. Out was of it? Punk. Yeah, I turned out a punk. Ah, I'm surprised okay. you, I'm, su- I'm surprised you even knew that. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute.
0: Didn't you do one of the South Park record?
1: Oh yeah, I mixed one of the South Park songs. That's correct. Yeah, I, I played guitar. I played uh, some acoustic guitar on it and mixed it. That's right. I'm thinking of something. I did something else. Did you actually Strummer. work
0: with Joe? Like, did you actually meet him and work with him? And
1: no, not at all. Nope. Just me. It was just Rick. Rick was there. Rick Rubin was there. Right. He had okay. already. It was already recorded. Ah. But I did. I think I, I did another song with uh, with them called "I Turned Out a Punk." Right. Okay. That's that's why I was surprised. I forgot about the uh, Chef Aid thing. <laughs> Yeah.
0: I mean, it's how could you forget such a thing? <laughs> I don't know. I have a
1: gold record for it. I don't know how I could forget it. <laughs> <laughs> you got a gold record
0: for that? Awesome. <laughs> That's rad. I mean, it seemed like uh, you know, like you're still doing stuff now, aren't you? You're still recording and producing now?
1: Every, every day. Wow. Well, yeah.
0: I got to say, Ed, thanks so much for giving up your time to to chat with me today about all of this because you know, I understand, you know, you obviously you're a very busy man. So I really appreciate it because, you know. You're I'll,
1: welcome, Damien. It's a pleasure to speak with you.
0: I love the Ramones. I love what you've uh, contributed to their career and uh, and what you've shared with us today. I mean, uh, Ramones fans around the world, I'm sure, will, will love it. So, Super. Thanks so much, Ed. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you for, um, you know, filling in those gaps in Ramones stories that I'd only heard myths and rumors about. So, Yeah,
1: I'm t- trying to clarify all the mystery. <laughs> it's my job. It's my job. <laughs> well, I'm glad somebody's well, doing because
0: you know, unfortunately, they're not around to confirm, and that's really sad. Yes. You know, so I, true. I miss them every day, and it's but you know, but as long as we've got the tunes, we'll always remember them.
1: So, uh, yeah, they'll live on forever. Yeah. Okay, okay, Damien. No worries. Well, you have thank, the best day. Thank you for thinking of me. It's been good talking with you. Cheers.